Volume two, chapter sixteen of Garcia Marina by Gustin Barth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. The Fight of Jimbelli, eighteen sixty five. The year eighteen sixty five was to be that of the election of a fresh president. By this stupid republican arrangement, supreme power could only be held for four years without power of re election, even should the president be a Charlemagne. Garcia Marina wrote at that time to an intimate friend even if the constitution would allow my re-election i could not consent to it the unhappy nature of the constitution of eighteen sixty one provokes every species of disorder without giving the government the means of repressing it i foresaw this in eighteen sixty one and always repent of having taken office under these conditions because i have confidence in god i believe the country will some day escape from these fearful dangers but it will be after a time more or less long of bloodshed and ruin when legislatures will at last be compelled to take reason as their guide the logic of evil is inexorable all crimes engender expiation we are expiating now the faults of those who framed the constitution in eighteen sixty one he felt now that he had only one more duty to fulfil towards his country which was to labour with all his might to give her a successor to himself who should be catholic enough to understand the regenerating effect of the concordat and energetic enough to prevent the revolution from ruining her garcia marina never thought that government should remain with folded hands during an electoral struggle while their enemies by lies and calumnies strive to defeat every honest candidate the license of the press at such moments far from guaranteeing the liberty of the people becomes the most terrible engine of deceit and oppression which can be imagined he therefore proposed as his successor don jose maria camano of guayaquil who possessed as he affirmed all the essential qualities of a statesman one whose honour was without a stain with good sense and a strong religious spirit being among the number of those who at guayaquil had never hesitated to practise his duties as a christian and thereby incurred the hatred of the freemasons who were so numerous in that city unfortunately a misunderstanding about a club formed of the partisans of urbina and which had been closed by order of the government made camano declare publicly that he would refuse a candidature which it was asserted had been based on violence and coercion then garcia maria chose d geronimo carrion of cuenca a straightforward and religious man a friend of order and of work an irreconcilable enemy of the anarchists and firm enough to defend the country against their attacks the conservatives in consequence all rallied round this candidate the opposition was divided between pedro carbo a violent radical and gomez de la torre a liberal pedro carbo had little or no chance for though a friend of urbina's every one knew his poor abilities seeing him one day walking with his friend indara garcia marina exclaimed to a man who was walking with him you see before you nullity in two volumes finding he had no chance carbo returned to lima to plot a fresh invasion of ecuador with urbina and gomez de la torre remained the sole liberal candidate he was supported by barrero in his newspaper the Cantanella, who did not hesitate to declare that the liberty of election had been suppressed that the oppression was greater than in the days of urbina and that people had no choice but to vote according to the ukase of the president garcia maria let the paper pass for some weeks then finding that its odious calumnies daily increased he summoned barrero and arizaga to appear before him instead of appearing at quito however barrero concealed himself while still striking his adversary in the dark the election of the new president took place on may fifteenth eighteen sixty five the government candidate received twenty three thousand votes while gomez de la torre only obtained eight thousand 
this was a great triumph for garcia moreno and proved that the people were only anxious to find in his successor one who should continue his work and exterminate the revolution the despair of the liberals and radicals of every shade may be imagined and they determined to make a last effort to get possession of the country the moment was propitious for the army had lost its chief general flores having died during the insurrection in machala the previous october footnote general flores died like a brave soldier with his weapons in his hands feeling he was dying he called his aide-de-camp and hearing that santa rosa was retaken and that his troops had fought valiantly he exclaimed then i can die happy o mother of mercy he added i am your child my jesus mercy garcia marina and the whole country mourned this great man who whatever may have been the faults of his youth had redeemed them by his patriotic devotion to his country End footnote. garcia marina was about to give up the presidency and would consequently have little influence the order was therefore given for an audacious attack to be conducted by the refugees of lima and their accomplices at guayaquil on the thirty first of may towards evening fifteen of urbina's followers led by a brigand called jose marcos and armed to the teeth with daggers and revolvers hid themselves in a little island in the river guayas not far from zimborodon the merchant ship washington then took them on board having received a thousand piastres from urbina to give them up their vessel which was well furnished with arms and all the requisites for landing following gently the course of the river to guayaquil these filibusters waited only for the night to continue their operations towards midnight they steamed silently up to the only man-of-war belonging to ecuador called the guayas boarded her murdered her captain and all her crew and having cut her moorings steamed out to sea with their prey the next morning it was found that the washington and the guayas with a third vessel the bernardino had anchored in the roadstead of jimbelli seven or eight leagues from guayaquil and that urbina and franco with several hundred peruvians were at the head of the expedition we can fancy the amazement and consternation of garcia moreno when three days later a courier from guayaquil by forced marches brought him this news he was ill at the time and had gone to rest at a hacienda called chilo a few miles from quito to meet this unexpected danger he had nothing but his genius his courage and his unlimited confidence in god quick as lightning he flew back to the capital drew up certain decrees which he left to the vice-president carvajal with orders to insert them the next day in the official papers and then without letting any one into the secret of his journey started for guayaquil only with his aide-de-camp in three days he had traversed the eighty leagues which separated the city from quito and arrived like a thunderbolt in the midst of his enemies it was the eighth of june in the middle of the night no human being could imagine that only eight days after the capture of guayas garcia moreno would have received the news in time to arrive at the seat of war the municipal council all friends of urbina's were sitting rejoicing over what they thought would be an easy victory when a frightened messenger rushed into the room exclaiming garcia moreno in an instant the brave conspirators took to their heels and hid themselves wherever they could the next morning the following placards appeared on the walls which we give in an abridged form considering that on the night of the thirty first of may fifty filibusters embarked in the merchant vessel washington and surprised the man of war guayas after having assassinated the captain and his equipage by decree of the president of the republic these men are considered as pirates any foreign vessel may pursue and seize them even in the waters of ecuador these men whenever captured will be judged as pirates by a council of war 
and punished with the utmost rigor of the law, as also all those who have favored their acts, no matter on what point of the territory. Then followed a similar decree concerning the army. Considering that the peace of the Republic is seriously menaced by the attack of the 31st of May, we summon the standing army. All military deserters will be summarily judged and punished according to law. The President of the Republic will in person take the command of the army. Everyone who read these decrees and knew the inflexible nature of Garcia Moreno felt that they would not remain a dead letter. But people asked, not unnaturally, how it was possible for him to execute any sentence on men who, safe on board ship, defied his decrees. The arrival of the English steamer Taka, which he was expecting with feverish impatience, revealed his plan. No sooner had she come into port than he went to the English consul and asked for the loan of her in order to give chase to the pirates. The consul acquiesced on consideration of an indemnity. The armaments on board were begun, when the consul, thinking the expedition a hopeless one, insisted on Garcia Moreno's buying her at the enormous price of fifty thousand pounds. Not having time for discussion, Garcia Moreno accepted these conditions. Then it was the captain's turn to object, and without deigning to confer with the president, he simply ordered his sailors to turn out the workmen and soldiers and to take down the Ecuador flag. He further asked a Spanish frigate to help him, who promised to fire on the vessel if she attempted to leave the port. Instead of being deterred by these difficulties, Garcia Marina determined to overcome them by force. He represented to the captain that having bought the ship, he had a right to do what he liked with her. The captain replied that he was going to hoist his own flag, and that anyone who touched it should first have to pass over his body. And I, answered Garcia Marino, will have you shot this moment, and your flag will be your shroud. The captain, seeing that he was in earnest, yielded. But even then, all was not over. On inspecting the machinery, it was found out of repair, and wanting in several necessary things. Garcia Marino called the two engineers, and ordered them, under pain of death, to repair the damage under the superintendence of a first-rate mechanician. Four soldiers were appointed to watch them, with orders to shoot them if they resisted. In this way the vessel was got ready, and armed with five large guns, ammunition of all sorts, and all that was necessary for boarding. Everyone helped with a will, but the sailors thought the expedition so dangerous that they asked exorbitant wages. The engineer asked twenty thousand piastres, and the doctor deserted. Garcia Marina then addressed the troops who were about to embark as follows. I only ask for men of heart and patriotism to accompany me on this expedition. Let those who are not afraid march to my right, and the cowards to my left. His words sent an electric shock through the men, every one of whom went to the right. He chose out of them two hundred and seventy, with certain determined men as officers, on whom he could rely. A priest also accompanied them, as the supreme consoler in the hour of danger. All had gone on board the Taka and the little scout steamer Smirk, when Garcia Marino addressed them as follows. Defenders of our country, we are going to meet the pirate who has stolen the Washington and the Guayas, after having murdered her commander in Matos. They thought they might act with impunity, as we had no vessels to follow them. This criminal hope has failed them. We have found a ship, and we reckon on the protection of an avenging god, whose powerful arm can reach villains wherever they may hide themselves. A prompt and exemplary chastisement must be meted out to these pirates, so that honest men may rest in peace. Soldiers and sailors, I hold to the honor of accompanying you. I wish to be a witness of your discipline and valor. 
so as to reward you worthily. I have the greatest confidence in the ability and intrepidity of your officers, as well as in your own well-known bravery. I only regret to lead you against foes who are unworthy of your steel, pirates, assassins, and rascals of the worst sort. But the safety of the country exacts this duty, and to save her in this critical moment is not, I feel, a sacrifice beyond your courage. Forward, then, for God and your country, and let every one do his duty as a man who has his heart in the work. Filled with enthusiasm at these noble words, the soldiers left the port, crying, Cheers for Garcia Moreno! The conservatives on the shore echoed the cry, while the liberals sneered at what they considered the madness of the expedition. The truth is, no one could fail to be alarmed when they reflected on the inequality of the approaching struggle. Besides their three armed vessels, the enemy had a schooner which acted as a guide. Peru had furnished them also with a large number of soldiers, who had attacked Santa Rosa, and after a bloody fight had occupied the town with three hundred filibusters. Urbina and Robles, on board the Washington, were about to return to Jambeli, having in tow another vessel filled with prisoners taken at Santa Rosa, who were all to be shot the next morning. Garcia Marina quitted the port of Guayaquil on the 25th at six o'clock in the evening. On the 26th, at eight o'clock in the morning, the ship's boats had reconnoitred the position of the enemy's vessels. The Guayas and the Bernardino, with the schooner, were in front, but the Washington remained at anchor in a bay at some distance off. The moment was solemn and decisive. Hardly had the insurgents recognized their assailants than they ranged themselves in order of battle, and opened upon them a tremendous fire from all their guns. The brave little band on board the Tucca were at first dismayed at the discharge, but Garcia Marina cried out, No useless firing! Take your cutlasses and board the Guayas! Encouraged by the calmness of their chief, the soldiers did as they were bid. Put on all steam and go right at her, the prow and the flank of the Guayas, was the next order. The vessel flew on, in the midst of the balls which passed over her, but did not touch her. When close to the enemy, Garcia Moreno gave the signal of attack. His cannon belched forth, and one well-directed ball made a huge break in the Guayas, below the watermark, which threw the whole crew into disorder. Like lightning, the Talca dashed into her at the same moment, and Marina's soldiers quickly boarded her, massacred or shot all the filibusters, save forty-five, who were made prisoner, and safely secured on board the Talca. The Bernardino and the schooner, seeing the fate of the Guayas, yielded without much resistance, being seriously damaged by the Talca's guns. There remained the Washington, with Urbina and Robles, who, with their officers and men, were all in a semi-drunken state, rejoicing over the capture of Santa Rosa, when their ship was rudely disturbed by the cannon of the Guayas and Taca. The Washington was at anchor, and nearly high and dry, owing to the lowness of the tide. was so great that they one and all dashed on shore, headed by the valiant Urbina, and took refuge in the woods. When the smirk, Marina's little scout steamer, came alongside of her, they found her completely abandoned. In their haste, the filibusters had left all their money and the correspondence of Urbina with his friends and traitors in Guayaquil, which fell into the hands of Garcia Moreno. Three days later, the remainder of this band of brigands, including the garrison of Santa Rosa, had all fled across the frontier to Peru, determined to avoid for some time to come any further fights by land or sea. The conqueror could then calmly examine the result of the day's work. Except the Guayas, which had foundered a few minutes after the fight, they had the whole of Urbina's fleet, the Bernardino, the Washington, the schooner, and another sailing ship, 
on board of which they luckily found all the prisoners from Santa Rosa, whom Urbina had meant to shoot that day, for their fidelity to the President. The Talca had suffered very little, and the smirk was untouched. They had lost very few men, and Garcia Marina's only regret was the escape of Urbina. They then determined to make a triumphant entry into Guayaquil, but first justice had to be carried out. The trial of the prisoners brooked no delay. When brought before the council of war, eighteen were found to have been enrolled by force, and Garcia Marina pardoned them at once. The twenty-seven others were condemned to death as pirates, including Jose Marcos, who had seized the Guayas, and Colonel Falejo, Dario Viteri, and Jose Robles. Each of these men went to the priest to prepare for death, and then were taken to be shot. The priest begged pardon for the twenty-seventh, and Garcia Marina was about to grant it, when looking at the man, he perceived he had on the clothes of the unhappy Captain Matos. "'You assassinated the commander of the Guayas,' he exclaimed in a voice of thunder. "'The filibuster owned the crime. I cannot pardon a murderer,' replied the President. "'Let justice have its course.' The fleet was now approaching Guayaquil. About five o'clock the smirk pushed on ahead to give the good news. The whole town was gathered on the quays, in the most intense anxiety. All of a sudden, Garcia Marina appeared on the deck of the Talca. Then a cry of joy rose from every breast, while the bells of the town began to ring, and even the Spanish soldiers, who had despaired of the expedition, joined in the enthusiasm and welcomed the conqueror by a salvo from all their batteries. In the evening, Garcia Marina described the heroic struggle to a group of friends, but showed them also the proofs of the complicity of so many of Urbino's friends in Guayaquil, which had been revealed to him by the correspondence found on board the Washington. "'We must have peace,' he exclaimed, "'and you will see with what cement I shall establish it.' The next morning, at eight o'clock, he summoned before him a certain lawyer, Dr. Viola, a native of Buenos Aires, the principal agent of Urbina in Guayaquil. Viola appeared before the president and his council with an air of pride and indifference, as if he had nothing to fear. Garcia Marina spoke. Dr. Viola, in your position as a lawyer, you know well the punishment due to a traitor. Yes, I know it. What is the punishment? Death. Then he presented the letters found on board the Washington, written by Viola himself, giving the most minute details as to the conspiracy in Guayaquil, down to the sum paid for the Washington, and an earnest advice to Urbina to come at once to the city. Dr. Viola, are you the author of these letters? I cannot deny it. Then prepare to receive the punishment of a traitor. You will be shot this evening at five o'clock. In vain were intercessions made for the criminal. The consul of Buenos Aires pleaded his position as a stranger, but Garcia Marina affirmed that he was subject to the laws of his adopted country. Another eminent personage, who had known of the plot and had maintained a guilty silence, came also to beg for Dr. Viola's life, but found Garcia Marina inflexible. "'You will answer for this bloodshed before God,' he angrily exclaimed. "'I shall not do so,' replied Garcia Marina calmly, "'but he who could have prevented these hideous crimes and did not do so.' I know why you speak to me like this. I am glad that you understand what I mean without any further explanations, replied Garcia Marino. It is said that even his mother, who was then eighty years old, and whom he loved with the greatest tenderness, tried to induce him to pardon Viola. My mother, he exclaimed with the deepest emotion, ask of me what you will, but not an act of weakness which would lose the country. 
At five o'clock, as he had decreed, Viola was taken to the plain of Guayaquil and shot. Garcia Marina, on leaving Guayaquil, addressed his comrades as follows. Your courage has saved the Republic. The pirates have had to leave our shores, and the filibusters of Santa Rosa have not even dared wait for you. Some have escaped the sword of justice by hiding in the woods, but before they continue their infamous trade, let them remember these words. The scaffold set up for the criminal will be the guarantee for the peace and security of all honest men. Urbina and his accomplices profited by the advice. Gimbelli was their last crusade during the lifetime of Marino. They could congratulate themselves certainly on their prowess. Besides the bloodshed in this fratricidal war, they had cost their country, in one year, upwards of a million piastres. End of Book 2, Chapter 16